Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you've given your word to us, that you let us know who you are, that you speak to us, and that your word speaks into every aspect of our lives. We thank you that through your word we find out about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Sins forgiven, death defeated. And we pray that as we read from your word about how you call us to live, that we remember that this is what we do in response to the love that you have shown to us, in response to the fact that we have been forgiven through what Jesus has done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those who want to follow along this morning, we're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, continuing on in this uh, very interesting, very unique book in the New Testament. This letter written to a church where just about anything they could have misunderstood about what it means to follow Jesus, they've misunderstood So we read from chapter 7, verse 1. Now for the matters that you wrote about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they can't control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. And to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, She must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. 
This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called to the faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. A little bit of chuckling going on from some people down there. (laughs) What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honourably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There was a whole lot of stuff in there, wasn't there? A whole lot of different ideas about marriage, about divorce, about remarriage about slaves, about circumcision. I've uh, called my title this morning, Where You Serve God Best. And you might wonder about that, given that 
that, was, that, that wasn't really what it sounded like most of that passage was about. Mostly it was about whether you should be single or whether you should be married. We see right from the very start of that, uh, that chapter that Paul is responding to questions that were sent to him in a letter from the church in Corinth. We sort of had, uh, you know, Paul has planted this church and at a certain time these people from this church have come to Paul with this letter, but they also were telling him about all of these issues that were going on in the church. So Paul's responded to those issues first, and now he's going, all right, now I'm going to get to your letter. Now you've, you've written to me this quote from verse 1, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So they've, they've sent him this question, and he is in all of this responding to it. Should people be single? so that they can serve God and, you know, and be more holy. And even for those who are married, should they choose to be celibate within their marriages and refrain from one another? And what we are probably, probably seeing, like you might think it's very strange that he's getting a letter from a church saying, you know, should we be single or you know, husbands and wives stay apart from each other, from the same church that we hear about uh, where a man was having sexual relations with his own stepmother and people were proud about that fact. And that you might be wondering, how can those two things be in the same church? But it makes a lot of sense if we remember from the first couple of chapters that this is a church that has divided into factions, divided into groups. And what we're likely seeing here is one group overreacting to the sexual sin that they've seen in this other group and going too far in the opposite direction. And so Paul gives a lot of advice on this question that they've asked him. But his response is particularly built on this one theme. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them, from verse 17. From verse 20, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. And from verse 24, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now that might seem like a bit of an odd response to the question that the Corinthians have asked him about whether people should get married and have sexual relations with their spouses. But what Paul is doing here is getting at the heart of what the Corinthian church has misunderstood. Because they've got it in, in their heads that there were certain things that they needed to be in order to be able to please God, in order to be able to do good for him. They thought either you had to be celibate, uh, you had to be single and not get married, and that was the only way that you could please God. They might have thought, you know, in terms of the question about slavery, that if you're a slave, you can't honour God as a slave, so you have to change that and be free so that you can honour God. They might have thought, oh, you have to get circumcised in order to be able to be somebody that can honour God. Uh, they had an idea that maybe if you were a Christian, but you know, your, um, your spouse isn't, and you know, Paul, isn't, Paul, Paul says quite clearly at the end of this chapter where he's talking to widows who have the choice about who they should marry, that they should only marry someone who's a Christian. But we're talking about 
first generation Christians here where, where somebody has believed the gospel but their husband or wife hasn't. And there's this question like, am I being defiled by my relationship with my unbelieving husband or my unbelieving wife? And they had all these thoughts about, I have to be this or that in order to glorify God. And Paul's response to all of that is, you can glorify God in the situation that he has put you in. If you're a slave, you can glorify God as a slave. If you are single, you can glorify God as a single man or woman. If you are married, even married to somebody who's an unbeliever, you can glorify God and you, you have all that you need in Christ in that situation that God has put you in. Whether you're married or single, circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free, Jesus He came to proclaim the good news not just to men, not just to women, not just to singles, not just to to married couples, but to anybody who would receive the good news. Jesus went to that cross to bear the weight of sin that was ours, to, to to take on himself the punishment our sins deserved for anyone who would believe in him. Not just for singles who would believe in him, or for married couples who would believe in him, but for all who would believe in his name. Because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, Paul doesn't really explicitly refer to that. This is, he sort of talks about the gospel stuff in the starts of his letters, and then he gets into the nitty-gritty of how we should live now. But we're wise to not forget that this is what we do in response to what Jesus has done for us. That because of Jesus, we have all that we need regardless of what situation of life we're in. And so Paul tells, uh, Paul gives us, you know, from this, this heart, this idea that you don't need to be this certain something in order to glorify God and to be all that we need in him. Paul gives us examples of how to put it into action. Paul tells slaves they don't have to be freed in order to be able to glorify God with their lives. Now he does say this isn't a hard and fast rule that you can never change. He says to the slaves, if you get the chance to be freed, go for it. But don't feel like because you're a slave you can't do anything for the glory of God. Now, regardless of what you might think of your boss, none of us are slaves here in the church this morning. So how do we understand what Paul is saying to us? Is he saying to us, never change your job? That faithfulness is staying in the situation that God has put you in? I don't think it's necessarily saying that at all. But what it it does tell us is that you don't have to change your job in order to be able to glorify God wherever he has put you. We need Christian doctors, Christian shopkeepers, Christian accountants... We need people in all walks of life showing the love of God, showing the integrity of God in doing all our work to the glory of God. We can honour God in any workplace, whether it's you know, planting, planting rows out in the tractor or whether it's you know, crunching numbers behind a desk. God can use you 
where he's put you. Sure, he might call some people to be uh, you know, ministers and missionaries and all of these things, but we need to let go of the idea that these people are somehow worth more in God's kingdom than the people who work a nine to five. God can use you where he's put you. We can honour God in our workplaces. But we can also, and most especially, we can honour God in our relationships, as that's the thing that Paul spent the most time on in this chapter. As I said, it seems that there was at least one faction in this Corinthian church that had come to believe that singleness was better, was holier. You know, and, and you can sort of see where they might have got to that idea. We, there's even uh, in Jesus teaching to his disciples and things, there's one point where the disciples say to him, isn't it better to not be married? Isn't it easier that way? And, and he, his response is quite positive to that. He said, like, yes, it is good to be single. But you know, he, he also says, and as Paul points out, that is not for everybody. That is not the way that God has made us all. So Paul responds to this question from this faction within this church by showing how singleness can be a great thing, but it's not for everybody. Oops. So Paul himself was single. He was an unmarried man. And he says, I wish everyone else was like me. But then he follows that up with the very next sentence by saying, but not everybody is. Some have one gift, some have another. He wants to tell us that being single is not a bad thing. Being single is not a last resort for people you know, who weren't able to find a spouse. He encourages the singles that within this congregation to not feel like they have to get married, like you know most people in society around them were. That you don't have to have a husband or a wife to be a full and a complete human being, to be of value and of worth. He says, in, in, there's some respects in which being single is even so much better. Being single, they could devote themselves to the Lord's affairs, to, to helping out in the church and doing things. Uh, and, you know, you just have more free time and you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, as, as it sort of said about the husband, he's concerned about how to please his wife. The wife is concerned about how to please their husbands. And they should be. He's not saying that husbands shouldn't be wanting to please their wives and vice versa. But he's saying that's a natural thing that comes with marriage. And if you're not married, you get to skip out on that whole thing. And you can have, you know, you have all this time that you can dedicate to God. So singleness is not intrinsically holier. But there are more opportunities to serve. But he's also, uh, Paul wants the singles in that church to know they have great value. Now everybody, no matter who we are, single or married, everybody needs relational intimacy. Everybody needs to be close to people. But not everybody feels the need for sexual intimacy. And he says, well, if you don't feel that need, then maybe you shouldn't be pursuing that. Maybe God has something better for you in singleness. He says, 
If, if you don't need that, that is a gift that God has given to you. And it's worth remembering that, as I said, all people need some level of relational intimacy. And the church can really be that when it's being all that it should be for those who are single within our congregation, a, way, a place where people can come and gather together and be loved without having to be part of you know, the traditional marriage and you know, family unit. So Paul is clear that singleness can be really good. But he's also very clear not everyone has the gift. And if you try to be you know, somebody who is celibate when that's not the way that God has made you, that can end very badly. That can end with sexual sin. And we see that uh, you know, even in just looking at you know, those churches that insist that they're Ministers have to be single and celibate. And we see all of the issues that have come from that. He says, if you feel heterosexual sexual, sexual desire, and that's, you know, that's the way that you're made, is that you do have a sexuality, uh, you know, and, and you do feel that urge, Trying to pretend that you don't is likely to just end in sin. And the far better option is to get married. You know, it's not always as easy as that. Oh, oh, yep, I'll just get married. But um, he says, you shouldn't be thinking in this situation, oh, I've somehow failed God by choosing to get married because that's the way that I've been built. But he says, getting married is a good thing and you have not sinned and you can glorify God in that place. Better to get married and serve God in marriage than to burn with passion, as he said. And so all of those who are single in the church should take the time to consider where they fit in that description. Whether they feel like they are someone God has given that gift to stay single and can glorify God in their lives in that way. Or if you feel that, no, you are looking for that relationship, that marriage relationship. And that's something that you would be looking towards and praying about. But he reminds all of the single people that you have all that you need already in Jesus. You don't need anything else in order to be somebody that can honour him and glorify him. Which brings us then to those who are married or those who are being single choose to get married, which Paul says they absolutely can choose to do. We can serve God where he has put us, in the situation he's put us in. And within this passage, Paul responds to two separate questions about uh, for married couples. The first, should married couples refrain from having sex with one another in order to be holier? And the second is, is a Christian person defiled by having sex with a non-Christian spouse? Should they be getting divorced from one another? So I'm going to tackle that second question first. Paul begins with quite a strong word on this. He says, don't get divorced. And then he says, following that, in verse 11, 
uh, to the married I give this command, a wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. From that verse, it sort of sounds like a divorce shouldn't happen. And if it does happen, there's no possibility of, of remarriage except if you can reconcile the relationship with the person you've divorced from. Now, Paul is speaking quite strongly here. He's quite strong on not wanting the Corinthians to divorce. That should you know, be the starting point is that we, you know, divorce is not something that we should just say, oh, yeah, that's, that's okay, do it when you feel like it. Paul is strong on them not wanting to divorce their non-Christian partners so that they can marry Christian spouses. Because he says, far from being defiled by those people, your, your husband or your wife who's not a believer, you're actually you're bringing some holiness into their life, into their family, into your children. Now, that doesn't mean that you know, a person is saved just by being married to somebody who believes in Jesus. But there's the, the possibility that that will come. He says, how do you know, husband, that you might not, that you will save your wife or wife that you might save your husband? But he does acknowledge that in these relationships, without their choice, their partner might want a divorce. That, you know, you might have a Christian woman uh, who is uh, married to a, a pagan man in this Roman society and he sort of says, like, either you have to worship my gods or you have to, you know, or I'll divorce you. In that situation, Paul says, in this case, you are not bound. That's an interesting word. If the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. Now, that's an interesting phrase because it's also used later in that, this very same chapter. We talk about how a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. Widows are told they're not bound anymore. And they are, as a result, they're free to remarry. But it's interesting that the same phrase of being not bound is used of somebody who is you know, abandoned, divorced against their will, more or less, by their husband or their wife. Uh, you know, especially, perhaps, in this instance, talking about where one is not a believer. And we see, even in what Jesus taught about divorce, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, except for in the case of sexual immorality, except in the case of where they're cheated upon. So the Bible's advice is, if you have a choice, don't get divorced. The, the pledges that we make to one another in marriage are serious. But he also says that um, if you don't have the choice, or in this case of sexual immorality, that there is, in that instance, it's not wrong in any way to get divorced. And might... Um, and in, in some of the, in perhaps these instances, remarriage isn't 
adultery. Remarriage isn't a problem. Now, some churches do differ on, they, they say divorce is okay in these instances, but it's not talking about remarriage. I tentatively fall on, because of that language about not being bound, I understand that it does mean that that connection has been completely severed. That, it's a, um, that being remarried is adultery in an instance where that divorce was not legitimate. But that in these instances, that are, these, these case studies we see here, they might be. But as for, that, that's the one question that he's given them. And his response is, you can honour God and be all that you need within a marriage to somebody who's not Christian, but if they won't have you, you'll also be just fine. You'll be all that you need. You have all that you need in Christ, even if that relationship falls through. And as for the other question, Paul says, married couples should not try to be celibate. Paul says, you belong to one another. You're not just your own, but you yield your sovereignty over yourself to your spouse. And that goes both ways. Now, it's very important we mustn't use these verses unlovingly. When it says about the wife's body belonging to her husband and the husband's body belonging to the wife, there can be you know, temp- a temptation or there can be, has been instances where people have used those in an unloving way. I think if we love our husbands and we love our wives, it's okay for them to sometimes be too tired or you know, it's been a really tough day or those sort of things. And we shouldn't be domineering and demanding on getting our own way. But it does also warn us against any kind of like, using intimacy as a way to get our own way. And if I don't get my way then um, you don't get uh, any sex or any, any intimacy in that sense. What these verses invite us to do is to reflect very carefully on you know, when, when we might want to withhold from one another. He says there is an instance where you might do that, where uh, you, you mutually decide for a season... Uh, you know, for a short time to, to withhold from one another in order to devote yourselves to prayer. But it's good for husbands and wives to remember that they do belong to one another and live in that way. So how then should married couples glorify God in their relationships, in their marriages, if it's not by you know, being celibate and keeping away from each other? Well, Paul says a very interesting, very strange thing in verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. That's a very strange thing to say. Now on those who have wives should live as if they do not. And we've seen from the start of this passage that doesn't mean no intimacy. And also, Paul can't be saying that we live in a way that is neglectful towards our wives or our husbands because this is the same Paul who tells husbands in Ephesians chapter 5 that they need to love their their wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. 
Well, these verses are as a reminder that our greatest satisfaction, our greatest fulfilment is found in Jesus. In the love that we know of him, in, in the fact that he has forgiven all of our sins and in the hope that he has given us of everlasting life. And we need to remember that our spouse should not be a rival for our affection to God. It should not be... Um, we, we don't, when we put God first in our married life, that's actually a good thing. You might think, oh, I have to put my husband and my wife first and God second. But Paul encourages us, if you put God first, that actually makes you more likely to be you know, the husband that loves his wife as Christ loved the church. The wife that loves her husband. And uh, you bring, you know, the wife that uh, you know, honours her husband and does good uh, and, and brings honour to God within that relationship. It's a reminder for us as who are married to lead one another in growing in our love for Jesus and to put him at the head of our marriages. But in closing on this, this chapter that had a lot in it, a lot of different ideas. That key thing we remember is that God can use us, that we have all that we need in Christ in the situation of life that he has put us in. Our work, our singleness, our marriages, our families can bring glory to Jesus our Saviour. And so we need to put away this lie that we need to be something else, be this like extra holy monk type person in order to bring glory to God. But instead trust that he can use us wherever he's put us and so glorify him where we are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there was a lot in these verses this morning from chapter 7 about what it looks like to glorify you. We thank you for the reminder that we have all that we need in you. We don't need to be you know, super spiritual people. We don't need to work super spiritual jobs and we don't need to all walk away from husbands and wives and in order to be holy but you've made us holy because of your blood shed on the cross you've made us holy because our sins were counted to you and your holiness was counted to us so we pray that we might remember that we have all that we need in Christ we pray that you might help us to be encouraged by that to go away to our workplaces, to our homes, to our families, whether single or whether we're married, knowing that we can glorify you in that situation of life that you have put us in, that we can be your people, bringing glory to you and knowing your love every day. In Jesus' name, amen.
We're going to sing now. Uh, the song sings about all that we need. We already have all that.